From Parkway Church in Kurana, this is the Parkway Podcast. Our prayer is that this message blesses and encourages you today as you listen. If you would like to know more information on who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. Well, good morning. As Zoe said, I am Dave Lane, and I've been a youth pastor for 30 years. Um, I was asked when I'm going to grow up and be a real pastor. I said, never. Uh, I love youth. And so God called me to begin a ministry here in Sarnia Lambton called the Youth Unlimited YFC Sarnia Lambton. And I know it's a mouthful, but it is Youth for Christ. And does anyone know who started Youth for Christ? Billy Graham. He started Youth for Christ. We have never had a satellite here in Sarnia before. And so I love the young people here. What we're about is simply this, encouraging parents, equipping youth leaders, and engaging students. We are supporting the youth pastors. We have amazing, Zoe being one of them, we have amazing youth pastors in Lambton County that I love dearly. And uh, it's been great to support the local church and just see how God is going to use. We're actually in the high schools. Uh, We're in three different high schools in the fall, possibility of six, which is really exciting. And so thank you for your prayers. That's all I'm going to say about that because I am so excited to be here this morning because the Word of God says this, that when two or more are gathered in His name, He is there. Now, I don't know how many are here this morning, but I know this. There's more than two of us, right? And so God is here, and he wants to speak to us. And so the question that you have to answer is this, actually two, is first of all, do you want to listen to God? Okay? But does it stop there? You also have to ask yourself, do you want to live out whatever God's going to tell you to do? You know, Jesus preached one of the greatest sermons ever. He said this, whoever hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is wise. Whoever hears these words of mine does not put them into practice is foolish. And so my prayer this morning is this, is that all of us would be wise. We have entered God's presence. We have worshiped him because he's the creator of the universe. Now that creator who created us wants to speak to us. And so I'm going to pray before we do this, okay? Because I want to be in the right spirit. I want God to come and speak to each one of us because I know this, that none of us are here by chance or coincidence because God doesn't work that way. Amen? So let's pray, and then we're going to dive into this. Dear Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity we have to come and to worship you, our Heavenly Father. Lord, I pray that we never, ever get tired of that. But Lord, we have worshiped you, and now you want to speak. And so I pray that you would remove all the distractions. I pray that we would be able to hear you, and not just hear you, but give us the courage to live out whatever you're going to challenge us with. Lord, remove me, because we want to hear from you this morning, because Lord... You are the potter, and I am the clay, and I thank you so much for that privilege. In your name pray, amen. Well, those who know me know this, that I am a visual learner, okay? I like to see objects. Anyone else visual learners? We're going to get along well, all right? I brought with me this morning a rubber duck. And everyone says, what's with the rubber duck, Dave? And the reason I have the rubber duck is it reminds me of a saying, and it's this, having all of your ducks in a row. Right? And what that means is being well-organized, prepared, and up-to-date. It means to have everything ready and in order. And I always like to live my life that way. I like to have a well-laid-out plan. I don't like surprises. I don't like sudden changes. I do not like being caught off guard. I do not like people throwing curveballs at me. And if I'm being honest with you, when it comes to my life, there is a part of me that likes to have a bit of control. 
And that's why I love the whole idea of having my ducks in a row, because what that does for me is this, is it brings me a sense of comfort. But here's the question I want to ask you this morning. What happens when life doesn't happen that way? What happens when something suddenly hits you that takes the wind out of your sails? What happens when you are thrown a curveball that is too painful for you to bear? And it's interesting, I find myself in a season like that. And so this morning, what I want to basically do is this, is I want to share with you some things that God has been teaching me. Because what I have found is this, is the best sermons I preach are the ones that God preaches to me first. And so some of you in this room are going to be able to relate to it, and you're going to, because you're going through seasons in your life that are very difficult, you're going to be able to take these things, go out today, and apply them right away. For those of you, you haven't got there yet, but those days will come, I'm just telling you. And so what you want to do is store them away because you will come back to it again and again and God will use it in your life. And so this morning, I want to deal with a story in the book. It's the story of Job. I've got to be honest with you. I never really liked that story because it's so depressing. It is. But there's a lot that we can glean from, from Job. There's a lot of wisdom here. And it's interesting, the season I'm in right now, God has actually drawn me to that book. And it's interesting, too, that the book of Job is actually in the wisdom literature in the Bible. And the reason why is because there is a lot of wisdom there. So if you're a Bible, so you have a, a, a paper copy or a digital copy, I want you to go to Job chapter 1. Okay, and that's where we're going to spend our time today. But before we do that, just listen, I want to jump ahead and read the end first. I know it sounds kind of weird, but I want to do that. But just take your finger in Job chapter 1 and listen as I read the end. We're going to read this again when we get to to it. But it says this, in Job chapter 42, verses 1 to 5, it says, Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my plan without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen, and I will speak. I will question you, and you shall answer me. And I love this part. Listen to this. this. Job says, my ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. This is what Job says. He says, I've heard, but now I see. You see, before the trials, he had heard of God. But once he went through the trials, he says, oh, now I actually see God. Soren Kierkegaard said this, life can, only be under, uh, life can only be understood backwards, but it must be lived forwards. Let me read that again. Life can only be understood backwards, but it must be lived forward. So what that means is this, is that we will experience things in our present that we won't understand until we get into our future. And so think about this for a moment. That means that sometimes we have prematurely labeled trials in our lives. We've called them one thing in the middle, but we've called them another thing at the end. We saw them as a burden, but now we see it as a blessing. You see, if you want to live the kind of way that God wants us to live, here's the thing I would tell you. We need to be willing to embrace ambiguity. We need to be willing to live with the tension of wanting to know but not knowing. 
And I think there's a lot we can learn from Job on how to endure what I would call Job-like seasons in our lives. Now let me explain what a Job-like season is. It is an unexpected, undeserved season of adversity that we have to endure, get this, without explanation. When you read the story of Job, what you'll realize is this, is God never gave Job a reason or an explanation for the trials he had to endure. He never did. So, in Job chapter 1, let's get to know Job. Verse 1 says this, In the land of Ur there lived a man whose name was Job, This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys. He had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. Listen to this. His son, his sons used to hold festivals, uh, feasts in their homes on their birthdays, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would make arrangements for them to be purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's custom. And so Job was blameless, he was upright, he shunned evil, and he feared God. And here's another thing, he kept close accounts with God. Not just for him, but also for his children. Now look at verse 6. It says this. One day the angels came to present themselves to the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered, the Lord, from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. So what we see here is this, is that Satan comes into the presence of God with the angels. He asks, God asks Satan, what have you been doing? Well, I have been roaming the world trying to disrupt and destroy those who love you. And what blows me away is this, is God doesn't say you shouldn't do that. In fact, what he does is he makes a recommendation. Look at verse 8, it says this, And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There was no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't know how excited I would be if God made that kind of recommendation, okay? And I could think of a few other people that should be on that list and not Job, because Job was blameless and upright. And it confuses me because I ask the question, does God really care about Job when he's making that recommendation to Satan? And what I would tell you is this, is God thinks very highly of Job. Because it's one thing to trust him with affluence, it's another thing to trust him with adversity. And what we see is this, is this recommendation is actually a revelation of what God wants to do in the life of Job. Now, if I was to ask you this morning, do you want God to use you? I think every one of us would say yes. But here's the thing. If we're being honest, we want God to use our gifts and abilities, not our lives. Because when God uses our gifts and abilities, it's a little easier. Because sometimes when God chooses to use our lives, it can be very, very painful. Now, 
Listen to how Satan responds. He says this, Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the works of his hands, so his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. So Satan says, yeah, I have considered him God, but the problem is you have a hedge around him. You've blessed him so much that I can't touch him. Now here's the thing that's interesting. How does Satan know there's a hedge? It's because he's tried. He says, you have blessed Job so much, no wonder he loves you. But here's the thing, if you took it away, he would curse you to your face. Verse 12 says, the Lord said to Satan, very well then, everything he has is in your power. But on the man himself, do not lay a finger. Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now before we go on, I want to make you aware of a few truths here that we've got to hold on to. Number one is this, is God is sovereign. Do you believe that? Are you sure? Okay. God is sovereign. Here's another thing that's interesting. Satan has to come to God. Satan cannot touch God's people, get this, without God's permission. Why? Because God is sovereign. And this is thing you have to realize, too, is the reason this is happening is not because God has found fault with Job. It's because he thinks very highly of Job. And here's the thing that I am learning is this. What Satan intends for evil, God will use for good every time. Why? Because God is sovereign and God is in control. Now, look what happens next. It's devastating. It said, and I want, I'm not going to read it for the sake of time, but they come one after another. It says that the ox and donkeys, ox and donkeys are seized and his servants are killed by the Sabaeans. Then... Uh, fire comes down from heaven and burns all of his sheep and his servants. And then we hear his camels are taken and his servants are killed by the Chaldeans, another raiding party. And if that wasn't bad enough, while his children are feasting at one of their son's homes, it says a mighty wind comes, knocks the walls down, and the roof collapses on his children, and no one survives. And as you read this, almost like one messenger comes in, and no sooner can he get the message out, the other one is waiting in the wings, and it comes one after another. And what I want to show you here is this, is how Job responds, because Job's response here blows me away. It says this, At this, Job got up and tore his robes and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in what? In worship. Listen to what he says. Naked I have come from my mother's womb. Naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. And it says this, in all of this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. See, what the enemy wants to do in our lives and is doing in Job's life, he wants to wear us down. But the great thing is if we read this, we see that Satan doesn't, I mean, Job doesn't curse God despite what's happening. Now, if you look at verse chapter 2, Satan comes back. And I want you to get this, because I always wondered, why did he come back? The reason he came back was this, is Satan didn't get what he wanted. You see, Satan didn't want Job's livestock. Satan didn't want his servants Satan didn't even want his children. 
What Satan wanted was this. He wanted Job's commitment to God. And what I love about this story is Job wouldn't give it to him. He wouldn't. And so he comes back to God and says, okay, you're right, didn't work. But I'll tell you what, if you inflicted him with sores, he would curse you. And God says, okay. And so we read next that Job is inflicted with these painful sores. And at this point, Job's wife begins to speak. And look what it says in chapter 2, verse 9. It says, his wife said to him, are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. Now, the reason we know this is from Satan is because it's the same kind of language that Satan used with God. Now, the question we have to ask ourselves is this, is should she have responded that way? Well, the answer is no. But before we judge her, I want you to think about something. She is grieving. She's lost her children. She has lost her servant who would have cared for her sick husband. Now she has to do it, so she's struggling from caretaker's fatigue. Money is running out. And so she is thrust into a season where she is living through a situation she never even imagined she ever would. And the pressure becomes unbearable, and it makes her say things. Just imagine this for a moment. You have a husband you were caring for. You have children you were grieving. You have assets that are, are, have disappeared, and your future is unclear. And what happens here is this, is her pain begins to speak. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where it's so difficult and the pressure is so great that your pain begins to talk. And I'll tell you something. When your pain begins to talk, 100% of the time, it is ugly. It is not good, right? And so before we judge Job's wife, just understand that that is where she is, and she's working through things. Now, what happens is we come to Job's friends. And again, this is a long part of the story. We're not going to read it, but I always, I've read through this, and it just blows my mind because these are good friends who gave bad advice, and some of the things, now that we see the big picture, some of the things they said, you also want to say to them, shake your head, like, what are you doing? Right? And what happens in this moment is Job is hearing this, and so Job becomes so frustrated with them that what he does in his humanness is he projects his frustration to God. And he says, okay, God, you need to talk to me. And what we'll notice in this story is this, is for 38 chapters, God is silent. He says nothing. You know, it's one thing to suffer. It's another thing to suffer, and God is silent. It's one thing to go through adversity. It's another thing to go through adversity without explanation. And so there's Job. His friends are saying ridiculous things. His wife is telling him to curse God and die. He's lost everything. He's in pain because of his soars, and he is waiting for God. And then what happens is this. In chapter 38, God speaks, but listen to me, he doesn't answer. He questions. And he poses three questions to Job. The first one is this, is Job, can you explain my creation? Were you there from the beginning? Job's like, no. Can you care for my creation? Because this is a big job. And can you control my creation? And Job is left speechless because he knows who God is and who he is not. Now, what I want you to understand is this, is God is not insulting Job. He's not. 
What God wants Job to know is that he, God has a higher level of reason than him, and God wants Job to know that he is doing things that Job doesn't understand. And even though it doesn't make sense to Job, that's okay, because it makes total sense to God. And this is where we come back to chapter 42. And this is where Job's response, after going through all this, blows my mind. He says this, I know that you can do all things. Understand this, he's gone through this pain. I know you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my plan without knowledge? So Job's saying, I didn't get it. Surely I spoke of things I did understand, things too wonderful, like what he's gone through, but things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now and I will speak. I will question you and you shall answer me. And then he says, my ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. What this story is, is restoration without explanation. Here's the issue with us as children of God sometimes, is we could become so consumed and concerned about what we don't know rather than leaning on what we do know. And this is what we do know. God is love. God is faithful. God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. And we know this, what Satan intends for evil, God will use for good. What I want to do this morning as I wrap up, is I want to give you three things that we learn from the story of Job. Three things that we need to apply in order to get through these seasons of adversity. But before we do that, I want to share with you briefly my story. December 2020, my wife was diagnosed with leukemia, which kind of shocked our family. It came out of nowhere. December 23rd, 2021, a day before Christmas, my wife was taken home to be with her father in heaven. My wife was 51 years old. I was or 52 years old. I was left as a widower at 50. Uh, my wife's been gone now for seven months. In the seven months, both of my kids have gotten married without my wife being present. Now, I want to tell you this. The reason I share that with you is not to get your sympathy. It's not. But the reason I share that with you is because the three things that I'm going to tell you about are three things that I am doing right now. I've an opportunity to speak at a lot of churches doing pastor summer pulpit fill because I'm not at a church right now. And it's interesting, someone says to me, how are you able to do this? Your wife's been gone for seven months. How can you get up here and preach? One person, God. It's because I look at the story of Job and I'm like, man, here's a man who loved God. What did he do? And so what I want to do this morning really quick is this, is I want to give you three things that you need to do when you find yourself in these Job-like seasons. And so you want to write these down. Write these down in your, your book, in your phone, whatever it is. And I make it really simple because I work with youth and I'm pretty simple too. So I'm going to give you three words and they all start with W, Okay. The first one I want to give you is this, is weep. You need to weep. Tears 
are healthy. Job wept. Now, if I'm being honest with you, I'm a, those who know me, I'm kind of emotional. I'm embarrassed to say this, but I actually watch Disney movies and I cry. Beauty and the Beast, Little Mermaid, I don't know what it is, every time. But in these last seven months, I have cried so much that my tear ducts are dry. But what I've been told is this, is as we go through this, it is part of the process of grieving, to weep. It's a good thing. It's a natural release. And the thing about Job was this, is he was honest about his loss. And God embraced him. You know, faith doesn't deny reality. It doesn't. Faith believes that God can change it. Do you get that? Faith doesn't deny reality. Faith believes that God can change it. In fact, Psalm 126 verse 5 tells us this, that we can't reap in joy unless we sow in tears. And so what we learn from the book of Job is this. It is okay to bring to God our frustration, our, um, our pain, our loss, and our disappointment. And the reason we know that is because you, you seem to read the book of Psalms. I don't know if you know this, but the majority of Psalms are what they call lament Psalms. It's basically man coming to God and saying, God, why? I'm hurting. You see, how we approach God and how we talk to God, I believe this, indicates how we see God. See, God already knows what we're going through. Why? Because God is sovereign. And he knows it's going to hurt. And that's why he says to us, okay, you just need to come to me so that I can care for you. Because in those moments of crying, i got to admit to you, I've asked God why. And God has shown up, and God has cared for me in ways that I never thought possible because I was willing to be vulnerable. In fact, this may even blow your mind. I wouldn't wish this on my worst enemy, but I also wouldn't give this up for the world because I've experienced God in ways I've never experienced because when you're broken and you weep, God always comes and cares for you because he's our Heavenly Father. Right? So the first word is weep. Second word is weed. Now I've got to be careful when I say this one. I've got to explain it. Okay? I'm not saying that. It's an action. Okay? I'm saying weed out. You need to weed out. You know, Job's friends were well-intended, but very misguided. And they said things because they didn't understand and it's really interesting, going through grief like this, I've been a pastor for 30 years, and I've got to be honest with you, I have said some pretty stupid things to people. I didn't get it. And there are times where Satan will use good-intended people to discourage you. And so what you need to do is you need to weed out. You need to separate the lies of the enemy from the truth of God. In fact, I would say this, you need to anchor yourself to the truth of God. You know, it's interesting, my devotional life looks totally different now. As a pastor, every morning I get up half an hour, I pray, I do scripture, all that kind of stuff. I don't do that anymore. Don't worry, I pray and I read scripture. But it's interesting, being with God and understanding his truth is so important. And what I've done for the first time is this, is I've actually anchored myself to it. I don't do chapters of anymore. I do verses that I, that I repeat to myself throughout the day. In fact, I memorize them because I need them. Because here's the thing, is the enemy wants to take me down. 
And he wants me to believe his lies. And he will use anything he possibly can, even the best intended people. You see, Job's friends loved Job, but they didn't understand. The best thing for them to have done is just to sit with Job instead of trying to explain why God was doing it. In fact, one guy said, well, maybe you've sinned. Really? Maybe God is punishing you. So the first word is what? Weep. Second word is? Okay. And this is the last word, which I think is really, really interesting, is worship. Even though it may be the farthest thing from your mind in a moment of grief, that is the best thing for you to do because I've realized this, that worship is not just a spiritual discipline, but get this, it is also an act of spiritual warfare. Right? In fact, I read this verse, it blew me away, uh, Psalm 8, verse 2, it says this, through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemy to silence the foe and the avenger. So what this is saying is this, is our worship is a spiritual discipline. It draws us closer to God, but our spiritual di- it also establishes strongholds for God to silence the enemy. Because it's in these moments that the enemy wants to speak. Now, a stronghold is a fortress. And so we're building fortresses in our lives that basically these negative voices are silenced. The voice of doubt and discouragement which I'm learning are very loud when you grieve. Worry develops bad strongholds. Worship creates good strongholds. Now, let me land this by saying this. Being a pastor for as long as I have, it always breaks my heart when I hear of people who have defected from the faith. And it's usually because of apathy or animosity. But the reason that they leave is rarely because of doctrine. The reason most people leave is this. It's because of difficulty or tragedy. Something happens in their life, and what happens is they begin to ask God, why would you allow this to happen? Because all I've done in my life is serve you. you know, it's interesting. When my wife passed away, I remember uh, standing in the hospital thinking to myself, God, I have served you with my life. I have sacrificed things. I, I, I haven't gone certain ways because I wanted to serve you. I don't understand why you would take my wife. Because I need her. I remember in that hospital room, God said to me, Dave, you need me. That's it. She is home with me and she is safe. And I said, God, I don't understand. He said, it's okay. You don't need to. Because I do. You know, it's interesting, I said this, that if we're going to live the kind of life that God wants us to live, we have to be willing to embrace ambiguity. We have to be willing to live with the tension of wanting to know, but not knowing. And I think King Solomon understood that tension when he wrote Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, and we all know this verse. I'm going to close with this. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding, and all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. You know, that verse has become actually a life verse for me. I know when you get baptized, everyone says that's my life verse, but it's really not a life verse until you live it out. And I'm living it every day because what I'm realizing is this, is I don't understand. But I don't need to understand. All I need to do is trust God. 
because he will do something with us. I don't get it right now, but he will. And then I just submit to him in everything. And that means my pain as well. And this last part, that he will make your path straight, kind of hit me between the eyes, because it doesn't say he will make our path great. He says he'll make it straight. He'll see us through. But get this, he will not take us out. There are days where I wish, God, just take me home so I can be with you and be with my wife. And God's like, no. I still have something for you to do, and I'm going to see you through it. So with that being said, coming back to my little duck, I'm beginning to understand something, that my ducks have always been in a row, and they always will be in a row. But it's not because of what I have done or what I am doing. It's because of what God has done and what he will continue to do in my life. Let me pray. Dear, I thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for the fact that you love us and that you walk with us through times of stress and tension and grief. Lord, I pray that as we leave today that we will be okay with living with ambiguity, that we be okay with the tension of wanting to know but not knowing. And Lord, I pray that we would just live by the words of Solomon, that we would trust you with all of our hearts, that we wouldn't lean on our understanding, but in all our ways, I pray that we would acknowledge you and submit to you. For Lord, we know that you're going to make our path straight. No matter what we go through, you're going to be with us every step of the way. And we thank you so much for that. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that this message brought you closer with Jesus and gave you a better understanding of your walk with him today. If you would like to know more about who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at parkway.church.